0: Welcome to the ASHP Official Podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy.
1: Uh, Afternoon to everyone. My name is Jordan. I'm a pharmacy student at the University of Finley, and today's host, I want to thank you guys for joining us in today's episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what's top of the mind in the world of pharmacy. Today we have two special guests with us. Uh, The first one, Dr. Melissa Nguyen. She's a pharmacist at the VA Palo Alto Healthcare Center in Palo Alto, California. And then our second one is Dr. Kelsey Echelbarger, founder of Greenwell Consulting Pharmacy in Portage, Ohio. I wanna thank you guys again for joining us. Today we'll be discussing the impact of systemic racism and pain management and how it affects the care we provide for our patients. All right. So we'll get started with some background. Uh, Dr. Wen, this first question is for you. What does the research show in regarding racism and pain medicine?
2: Great. Thanks for the question. Before we get into the literature, I'd like to acknowledge that there are many different racist perspectives that are impacted differently through systemic racism, um, and of course, there's intersectionality that is to be considered. We're here to have a brief discussion about the evidence that for further education application, ASHP actually offers a diversity, equity, and inclusion certificate. So hopefully from our podcast and continuous education, I hope our listeners feel empowered to build upon their knowledge and apply skills to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in both their personal lives and professional practice. So for the evidence, let's first talk about how bias affects the clinical fields of pain. In racial bias and pain assessment and treatment recommendation and false beliefs about biological differences between Blacks and whites, Hoffman et al. founds that a considerable number of white lay people, medical students, and residents hold false beliefs in biological difference between Blacks and whites. These false beliefs are actually associated with racial bias and pain perception and accuracy of treatment recommendations. So clinically, uh, this translates to a disparity in pain treatment, where racial biases can lead to medication under-prescribing for our Black colleagues and over-prescribing for our White patients. While the authors came to the conclusion that using sample patients, like sample mock cases, in a separate study, Ramachana et al. came to a similar conclusion in the clinical setting, in a study called Racial and Ethnic Disparities in Discharge Opioid Prescribing from a Hospital Medicine Service. When evaluating opioid prescribing patterns among inpatients discharged from a general medicine service, they actually found, identified differences based on race and ethnicity. Asian patients were most likely to receive an opioid prescription among Black, Latinx, and white patients. And In comparison to white patients, Black patients were less likely to receive opioids and receive shorter courses of opioids at discharge. So disparity in pain treatment is not only due to like clinician bias. There is, there's also influence in institutional and organizational levels, including practice patterns within the organizational culture, public policy, and even allocation of resources. A particular quote from the studies took out to me. The authors recognize race, consciousness, and the interactions among factors such as race, ethnicity, language, and diagnosis, such as PTSD. Uh, This approach is necessary because racism is a multi-level construct influenced by macro-level factors. Dr. Eckelberger, do you have anything else to add?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that all of those are just such important points to highlight when we think about the background of what we are looking at here when it comes to systemic racism and pain management. I'd also like to add um, a notable quote from an article uh, published by Goshal and colleagues uh, titled, Chronic Non-Cancer Pain Management and Systemic Racism, Time to Move Towards Equal Care Standards. And this article states that bias also affects patient and provider communication, treatment-related decisions, and ultimately contributes to poorer health outcomes and health disparity. In addition, studies show systemic racism, including discrimination, inflicts continued trauma, which increases hypervigilance and stress, particularly in Black, Latinx, and Indigenous patients. Collectively, these factors lead to a greater negative cumulative impact on both physical and mental health. Such impacts are manifest as changes in cardiovascular, metabolic, inflammatory, and physiologic responses in our patients by recognizing these negative outcomes that manifest in our patients as a result of institutional racism, implicit bias, and our own potential responsibility for these things should spark us as pharmacists to be a part of the movement for fundamental changes, which start first with identifying bias within ourselves and expands from there.
1: Awesome, Kelsey and Dr. Nguyen. My next question is for you, Dr. Eckelbarger. Knowing where the research has been, What changes can we make to our pain research to address racial equality and pain science going forward?
0: I think that's a great question. And um, to quote the article by Booker et al. titled The Imperative for Racial Equality in Pain Science: A Way Forward. Uh, elimination, they state in this article that the elimination of inequities in pain care and research requires the identification, naming, and mitigation of systemic discriminatory and biased practices that limit our understanding of pain disparities. Now is the time to divest from traditional research methods and invest in equitable and innovative approaches to support pain researchers in advancing the science and improving the lives of people with pain. This highlights that we must identify that in some cases, the fundamental assumptions, methods, and analysis for the research we often use as clinicians to form the basis of our clinical decision-making may be affected by bias. We must critically assess the published literature we encounter and acknowledge. We must acknowledge how misconceptions regarding pain in minorities manifest itself in research and in ourselves.
1: Very well said. And for you, Dr. Nguyen, as practitioners, what interventions can we make to reduce disparities in pain?
2: As the complex nature of racial disparities suggests, the interventions to combat this issue is multifactorial. For instance, um, in Chronic Non-Cancer Pain Management Systemic Racism, the same article that uh, Dr. Ekelberg mentioned earlier, Goshal et al. recommends anti-racism training to be included in medical curriculum. So students will be able to grasp and apply foundational concepts such as implicit bias, health disparities, and cultural competence, which definitely have room to grow even in you know the pharmacy curriculum. With our patients, uh, Ghoshal denotes incorporating Black, Indigenous, and person of color voices into leadership, health equity, and healthcare professions. So clinically, patient trust and adherence actually increases when physician, patient, race, and ethnicity are the same. And I imagine that this may even be applicable to pharmacists as well. So even in situations where this is not possible to be culturally competent, we should use culturally competent interpreters, which will then improve the communication between us and our patients to improve pain outcomes.
1: I definitely agree with that. And actually, I want to hear from both of you for this next question. How can pharmacists get involved addressing racism?
0: Well, you know, we know as pharmacists that we often are the... The most or one of the most accessible healthcare professionals that patients have experience with on a regular basis. They turn to us sometimes before turning to their pain management clinician or even their primary care doctor. Pharmacists are in a unique position to positively impact a patient's health outcomes, particularly when we consider a patient's social determinants of health. And one of these determinants is access to healthcare and the quality of that care. So in communities with limited access to healthcare services pharmacies may be their only option for accessing a healthcare professional at least one that is readily available quickly and easily to them. So Disparities can begin with something as simple as the medications that we stock in our pharmacies, with limited access to certain pain medications occurring in pharmacies located in low-income areas, which also may be inhabited largely by people of color. As clinicians, we must recognize how we can impact a patient's outcomes if we assess their pain without bias and refer them for care, including higher levels of care and pain management services when appropriate, and then taking it another step further and following up with those patients in order to ensure that they are receiving fair and equitable treatment. Data suggests that due to perceptions or fear of discrimination by healthcare providers, minority patients may delay or avoid seeking care altogether, which we know when it comes to pain management leads to worsened outcomes. We can change this as pharmacists through our interactions with all patients by showing our dedication to treating all patients equitably, regardless of race, gender, or socioeconomic status.
1: Dr. Wynn, did you want to add to that?
2: Yes, thanks. So... In addition to patient care and work at the pharmacy through organizational environment, pharmacists are given a platform collectively and have a larger voice when addressing racism. Both local and national chapters can coordinate outreach efforts to marginalized communities. So organizations have increased resources, develop workshops, task forces, or even have expert guest speakers host discussions. So together, organizations are able to even develop policy changes, not on the organizational level, but also advocate in legal structures to impact structural racism, in addition to creating a safe space for discussions regarding dismantling racist institutions. And lastly, they can provide leadership equity to Black, Indigenous, and pharmacists of color.
1: Back to you one more time, Dr. Nguyen. What perspectives have been shared in the literature from Black clinicians directly?
2: So in uh, Black Pain Matters, Prioritizing Anti-Racism and Equity in the Opioid Epidemic, SCN et al. proposes targeted solutions to address inequity in pain management. An initial strategy being a root cause analysis for disparities in pain management in Black populations, including prevalence, presentation, and treatment. Another strategy includes standardizing opiate prescribing. Regarding a systems-level approach, this actually leverages pharmacy expertise and evaluates clinical diagnosis, which may reduce subjectivity when prescribing opioids to our patients. Access should be approved for special care services such as addiction, harm reduction, pain management, and for other social determinants of health such as pharmacy proximity, housing, security, employment status, criminal justice system history, and health insurance. So you can see this is a very complex issue to be addressed from multiple standpoints. And lastly, education regarding destigmatizing drug use in our communities of color should begin with early education for healthcare providers, even prior to the undergraduate level. In another op-ed or perspective piece, in uh, Taking Black Pain Seriously, doctor Ann Anakin-Lade states the onus of necessary advocacy for suffering Black patients have been placed solely, almost solely on this country's disproportionately few Black clinicians, an unsustainable solution, particularly since they are already shouldering the effects of systemic racism in their own lives. From this quote, it's important to realize that there, because while there is racism amongst pain, health care, and in everyday lives, it's not the it is not the sole responsibility of the person who is under the situation to educate other individuals, even though you as a healthcare provider may not be may not be familiar with the situation. As initial step, Dr. Akinlaid recommends taking implicit association tests to recognize your undiscovered, um, identify your biases, and then apply your introspections and reflections as a clinician.
1: That was well said, Dr. Nguyen, thank you for that. Dr. Ekelberg, um I actually have a two-part question for you. The first one is, what long-term implications can be inferred if we don't change our practices? And then a follow-up, what can be avoided by acknowledging systemic racism bias and pain management?
0: Thank you for that. I think that's a very, very important question. And what I would say is that it's really important that we have these conversations and do what we can to recognize the impact of systemic racism on how we manage our patients' pain now. If we don't do what we can to prevent further polarization and worsening health inequities, the results could be disastrous for disenfranchised communities and whole swaths of society. The events of the last few years have brought to the fore of our public awareness, the depth of racial injustice in many facets of society, with particular focus when we're talking about the media in regards to criminal justice and policing. But as healthcare professionals, and you know, in, in order to do what we need to for our patients, we really need to train that level of awareness towards healthcare as well, and conduct an honest assessment of how we are failing large communities of society by not providing adequate and appropriate care to our patients that are dealing with both acute and chronic pain in people of color. The first step is to recognize that we as healthcare providers have implicit bias, as Dr. Wen was stating. We don't intend to be racist. I doubt that any of us would ever think that we are ourselves racist. But instead, as Dr. Brian Derwicky states in his article published in the American Medical Association Journal of Ethics, a vast majority of people harbor implicit, non-conscious racial biases. And these biases have been shown to affect behavior in general, as well as healthcare decision making specifically. So by recognizing the existence of our bias and employing actual effective change to dispel the the bias that we have, we can reverse the effects and make the changes we need to provide truly equitable care to our patients. We need to engage more with people that are in ethnic groups other than our own. We need to work in diverse teams where all members are equal and we need to promote more people of color to positions of influence in order to elevate their voices and incorporate their ideas for change. And above all, we need to remember to have empathy for our patients, to imagine how we would want our pain to be treated if we were in their situation, and to listen to their stories while reserving judgment in order to devise effective treatment plans with patient engagement, which leads to better outcomes. This can reverse the trend we see with patients avoiding seeking treatment or not participating in the treatment plans that are developed for them because of perceptions of inequality or perceptions of bias that we may have. And the perceptions will only worsen if we do not actively participate in dismantling systemic racism now.
1: I completely agree. I think that was very well put. My last question for you guys, um, it's actually open for a discussion for either one of you. What would healthcare equity look like in pain management?
2: So, in addition to the aforementioned settings of healthcare, academia, leadership, organizations, public policy, I want to stress that health equity and pain management also affects and impacts research. As clinicians, we strive to incorporate evidence to our treatment strategies. At that's our very foundation. And yet, the literature is often limited by their their study population. Brooker et al. recommends recognizing chronic pain as a national health disparity issue, as a public health issue. So utilizing research methods that reduce perpetuation of bias, considering equitable measure factors when preparing study designs or even assessing results from a pain study. And lastly, ensuring People of color, especially Black Americans, are intentionally included and authentically engaged when involved in research. Moving towards health equity and pain management means a change on both a micro and macro scale.
0: I think that's absolutely right. And I think that we need to acknowledge that if we don't have, you know, research and literature based in the populations that we want to effectively manage and have an impact on, we have no basis for real clinical effective strategies. So we need to recognize that you know the bias exists uh, on a, a research level and the fact that we aren't incorporating all patients into the care that we want to provide. I think that health equity and pain management is not an impossibility, but it will take a lot of hard work, hard conversations, and continued dedication to implement structural change that will lead Uh, to real impact in our patients' lives. We must dedicate ourselves as pharmacists to interrogate ourselves on our implicit bias, to recognize the shortcomings in historical research that contributed to systemic race-based health inequities, And we must discuss in an open forum the false perceptions uh, that impact clinical decision-making when treating patients of color, leading at times to withholding or limiting access to necessary care, which we saw borne out in some of the uh, studies that Dr. Nguyen touched on earlier. As a profession, we need to actively recruit more minorities and young students in disenfranchised communities to join us in the profession of pharmacy in order to allow us to have a real and pragmatic adjustment in how to provide equitable care. All of this and more will help us better manage the pain of all patients while respecting dignity and optimizing outcomes.
2: I wanted to echo Dr. Eckelberger's thoughts in terms of it will take a lot of hard work, right? And so as pharmacists, we are often with our patients and through our our training, we've often had preceptors say, If there's something you don't know, you should look it up, right? And so we've all been in situations where we have the skills and abilities to look up how racism can impact patients and affect our care. And so hopefully through this podcast, continue education, not just with the ASHP's DI certificate, but through your daily life, hopefully you can apply practices of implicit bias in, in terms of improving patient care?
0: I would just like to urge everyone have, you know that's listening to this podcast um, to, to take the time and um, dedicate themselves to having those difficult conversations. It's, it's not an easy topic to tackle. It is uh, definitely something that leaves us feeling a little bit uncomfortable, but we have to be willing to feel uncomfortable and have these conversations in order for change to happen. And we need to also set aside you know, the fact that we are going to make it a safe space as pharmacists to be able to have these conversations with each other so that we can uh, affect change in our patients and move towards a more equitable management of pain in all of our patients in the future.
1: Thank you again. Uh, that is all the time we have for today. Again, I want to thank both Melissa and Kelsey for joining me today to discuss the impact of systemic racism on pain management. And if you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's online resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as Ambulatory Care Resource Center, the Preceptor Toolkit, the Research Resource Center, Clinical Pharmacy Resources, and more. Thank you again for tuning in for this session on hot topics in pharmacy, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcast or your favorite podcast provider.
0: Thank you for listening to ASHP Official